Amen. Amen. It is good to have all of you here this evening. My name is Dave Dorst. I'm the associate pastor at Potomac Hills, if I haven't met you yet. This may be the most packed we've had it. So this is a wonderful time. And I think it's been maybe four years now that we have partnered with Catoctin Covenant OPC, so bringing the Orthodox Presbyterian Church and the Presbyterian Church in America together. Uh, we usually do Easter, a, uh, either a Maundy Thursday or a Good Friday service out in their building in Percival, and then we do Christmas Eve here. So it's been a great partnership. So the big question for me in the last couple weeks, we have a tradition for this Christmas Eve homily, and you can listen to it or read it online <laughs> if you really miss it. Dave's smiling at me back there. They're groaning. I'm sorry. But tonight I want you to pretend that you've never heard or read the Christmas story. I want you to pretend that you know nothing about the Bible or about Christianity. Nothing. And then imagine yourself reading the Gospel of Luke for the very first time. If you have a Bible, you could open up to it. I'm not going to really read straight from it. But as you start to look through the Gospel of Luke... And if you had no one to explain it to you or guide you and explain what's happening, here's what you'd find. In that first chapter, you read that there are two births coming up, two boys that will be born uh, under some miraculous circumstances. One will be born to an old woman who is barren. The other will be born to a young woman who is a virgin. Now you know from the author's preface, Luke has told you, that he has compiled these accounts, these narratives from eyewitnesses. And so these are not myths. This is history. Both boys to be born will be into godly Jewish households. To parents who are described as righteous and favored. And not only are the birth of these boys going to be miraculous, but their lives are going to be very important because angels start appearing and explaining to the parents what is coming. Zechariah is the father of one of the boys to be born. And he's visited by an angel while he is burning incense as part of his priestly duty in the temple. Mary, one of the mothers, is greeted by an angel who has a name, Gabriel. And from the different angels' descriptions of what these sons' births will bring, it sounds like they are both destined for greatness. The one named John, who will be greatly used by the Lord and turn people's hearts to him. And the other is to be named Jesus. And he's to sit on a throne 
and reign forever. Now, as you continue reading, you see John is born at home. And his neighbors, his relatives, all rejoice in his birth with his parents. Jesus' birth is very different. His parents have to travel to a foreign city and they cannot find lodging. So in an animal's stable, he is born with no family or relatives around. You read that some shepherds come because they have been told by angels that this is a miraculous event and that they need to go find this boy. And so they rush over and find him and give thanks and praise to God for what's happened. But remember that you've never read this before. And you don't have any knowledge of how this is going to turn out or how the rest of the Bible is going to read And so you might be wondering at this point, which of these boys is going to be the main character in this story? I mean, they've both had miraculous births and supernatural beings announce them, prophecies about their importance and the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And now each of them has come. And which one of them will carry this story forward. So you keep reading. And you get to John 3. I'm uh, sorry, Luke 3. And you see a description of John grown up. And you see his life and his action. And people come out to see him when he baptizes people in the wilderness. And they have questions too. Maybe the same question. Are you the one. Are you the guy we're supposed to be waiting for? Are you the one that God has promised to send the Christ? And at this point in the story, it becomes crystal clear who is going to be the main focus. Because Jesus, because John essentially answers, listen, I've been called to do a few things. But there is another who is coming, who is mightier than me. I am unworthy of him. In one of the other Gospels, John says, I must decrease and he must increase. You see, their their stories have looked so similar. But it's here that John says, no, I need to decrease. And Jesus needs to step up. And to underline this point, Luke tells us that John baptizes Jesus. And as he's doing it, a voice from heaven tells Jesus, You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. So why was Jesus the one and not John? Why did John have a role to prepare the people for Jesus. And Jesus have the much greater role of King, Messiah, and Savior. Well, this past Sunday, if you were in this congregation, Tom Rubino preached about the importance of Jesus being fully human. And how his humanity allowed him to stand in our place as a substitute. One who knew all the temptations and trials of a human being and yet remained sinless 
and perfectly fulfilling God's law. Well, Jesus was fully human. But Jesus was fully divine. You see, Jesus himself tells us John was the greatest among people, among those born women. But he was not God. So the thing that separated Jesus from John was that Jesus came from heaven, having always existed as the supreme power over all, equal in substance, power, and glory to the other two persons of the Godhead, of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and Jesus, God the Son. Jesus' birth was a one-of-a-kind event where the awesome, uncontainable, magnificent creator of the entire universe was given an eight-pound human baby's frame and entrusted to two peasants to raise. The one who was completely self-sustaining and has had no needs or wants, is now suddenly dependent on a young woman to feed him, to clothe him. The all-powerful being with no weaknesses now has a body that is hungry and tired and that can be broken, pierced, and killed. Do you believe that Jesus was fully man and Fully God? That's the question. It's a hard teaching, equally hard as the doctrine of the Trinity. Three persons, one God. And the early church took a long time to define just how Jesus' humanity and divinity existed together. And many of the early heresies leaned too far to one side or the other. One of them came from a man named Arius in the 4th century. He went around teaching that Jesus was a created being, that he was not God. He was not equal to God the Father, even if Jesus was a wonderful example, a great teacher. He denied the divinity of Christ, and he set his heretical teachings to music rewriting the the lyrics of the popular tavern tunes so that the common people could sing and understand his teachings. Well, they called a council in 325. You've probably heard of the Council of Nicaea. And in it, among other things, the church leaders were trying to decide whether Arius' views truly represented the scriptures or not. And at one point, Arius began to sing these songs that he had written. And some of the bishops closed their ears. Some of the pastors left the room because they didn't want to hear it. Well, as legend goes, there was one bishop, the Bishop of Mitra, whose name was Nicholas. And Nicholas was a godly man who believed the scriptures and would not tolerate this teaching. So he walked over to Arius and calmly knocked him to the floor with a punch to the jaw. 
probably not the most godly response. But many church historians think that that was the turning point in the council, if it was true. It may be a legend. But they say that both Nicholas and uh, Arius were expelled from the proceedings. And with Arius gone, they were, the group came together and wrote the defining statement that is the Nicene Creed. And you might have guessed, I see some smirks, smiles, that Nicholas became a saint in the church later and was known for giving gifts to poor children. In fact, he's possibly the most well-known saint of all time, even if we've completely changed his image and his legacy and given him reindeer and a sleigh to deliver those gifts. But the whole point of the story is that if you want to teach that Jesus is not God, Santa Claus might punch you in the mouth. <laughs> now we've heard most of the Christmas story read throughout the service tonight. Well, let's take a minute to hear from some other parts of the Bible that answer some questions about why would God become a man? Why did Jesus come to earth? What was his mission? Mark 10, 45. We got technical difficulties. All right, good. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 John 3, 5, And you know that he appeared to take away sins. 1 John 3, 8, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. John three sixteen, God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And Galatians 4, 4 and 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. There's one more similarity between John and Jesus that I didn't mention earlier. And you know it because you've read Luke, I think. You've read the Gospels, and you know that both John and Jesus are killed because they are godly men speaking truth to power. And that the authorities, the spiritual and political authorities at the time, could not handle being challenged. So John is beheaded and Jesus is crucified. But John's death merely ends his life. His friends mourn. The world loses a great prophet. But ultimately, history marches on. Life continues. With Jesus' death, however, history changes. 
John's body stays in the grave. Jesus' body comes back to life. Because he defeats death. Because he was perfect and because he was God, death could not hold him. And as those verses just that we just read told us, his life is a ransom. And eternal life is given to those who believe in him. He takes our sin away. He defeats the work of the devil. We are redeemed in him, adopted into his family. All because the God-man came and gave himself up in our place. That is the miracle of Christmas, the gift of Jesus and his salvation. Now tomorrow you may not get that big gift that you've been hoping for. You may not, your parents may not have bought you the Daisy Red Rider BB gun with compass and stock. You may be disappointed. But you and I have been given the greatest gift that anyone can give. Something that nothing in heaven and earth can take away. A sinless Savior who loves you so much that he would endure all humiliation and pain to come to earth and die in your place. The free gift includes the faith to believe it and the assurance that your eternal destiny is secure. And that is a joy worth getting excited about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this amazing plan that no one would have guessed. No one would have come up with this on their own. We know that the religion that man create have us do enough good things to earn your love and your favor. And yet in your great plan, Lord, you came to take our place where we failed, where we sinned, where we are under the curse and condemnation of the law. Jesus came. His incarnation becoming fully human while not losing his divinity. Fully God, fully man. Jesus came and endured a life of hardship, suffering, rejection, up to his death. But he did it because he loved us. Thank you that that was the plan from the beginning. And thank you that in Christmas, in the gift of the manger, as we look at Jesus, we see this whole plan. God, help us to grasp the implications of this. That we have peace and joy on those whom your favor rests, on those whom you 
bring to salvation. God, we praise you and we thank you for that indescribable gift. In Jesus' name, amen.